0: I guess it was back in uh, 1950 when C.S. Lewis wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and it was the first book in a in a whole series, The Chronicles of Narnia. A lot of you are probably familiar with that. And uh, the story, it's, it's a story about these four siblings, and they, they go through this magic wardrobe, and they end up in the kingdom of Narnia. And the book relates the encounters that they have with the king of Narnia, a lion named Aslan. But the The kids, when they first hear about Aslan, they don't realize that Aslan is a lion. They think he's just a man. And it's not until they get to meet Mr. and Mrs. Beaver that they finally understand that Aslan is a lion. And when Lucy finds that out, when she finds out that that Aslan is a lion, she asks Mr. and Mrs. Beaver this. She says, then he isn't safe? (laughs) To which Mr. Beaver replies like this, safe? Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Now, the book doesn't really meet all the technical requirements of an allegory, but there's a lot of allegorical components to the book, and and certainly one of them that's, that's really clear is the fact that Aslan is a representation of Jesus. And we learn a lot about Jesus from looking at Aslan. We we learned that he isn't safe, but that he is good. And we learned that about God the Father as well. And, and it seems like there are two extremes that people tend to go to when they when they want to approach God, when they want to come into his presence. On one extreme is this idea that that people just approach God kind of flippantly, to be real honest. They kind of assume that God is just their their good buddy. And they lose fact of the sight that God is holy, that he's awesome, that he's righteous. And that you just can't go in there and, and enter into his presence any old way that you want. Some of these t-shirts that I'm going to show you here that, that have been produced over the years, I, I think some of the people who produced them, they had really good intentions in mind. But I think they're they're kind of evidence of how we might sometimes kind of approach God in a flippant way and not, look at the fact that he isn't saved. So look at these. There's a couple of them here. might have seen that one. Jesus is my homeboy. Or if you're a soccer fan, Jesus saves. And this last one, it might be hard to read it. Blood, blood wiser. the wise men knew his blood's for you. And like I said, I think there were good intentions there, but, but I kind of wonder if people aren't kind of being flippant about their approach to God. That's one of the reasons that that often um, I've heard people in response to something good that God does, they'll say, yay, God. And, and to me, maybe I'm being a little pharisaical here, I'll admit it, but to me that kind of, it sounds like you're at a ball game cheering on your favorite team. And you kind of lose the, the essence of who God is. Now the other extreme that people can go to not is that they go to the other extreme and they don't want to approach God at all because they're so afraid of God. They might have some sin in their life, and they're afraid that, that they can't approach God because, because God's going to zap them. And they go around living their life like looking over their shoulder, waiting for God to throw a lightning bolt at them. You ever known some people like that? And the problem with that is that we lose out on all our, our hope and our joy that we can have in life if we want to live like that. Now, fortunately, there's a, there's a middle place that we can come to, a healthy place. And that's what we're going to be studying about this morning as we continue our study in the book of Hebrews. We're going to find that there is this middle ground and we're going to find out how we can kind of navigate into that middle ground. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them out. Open them up to Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. So I'm going to begin reading this morning in verse 11. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. There's some in the the seat backs in front of you and the verses will also be up here on the screen as well. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11, now if perfection, and keep that word perfection in mind, we're going to come back to it in a minute, it's a really important word. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah in connection with that tribe. Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible for it is witnessed of him you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. On one hand, on the one hand a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. And it was what not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord is sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. In this passage, we see this whole idea of, of, of drawing near to God. And it's one we see that six different times in the book of Hebrews explicitly, and really the theme is woven all throughout the book, And so there must be a way, as I said a moment ago, that we can draw near to God that avoids those two extremes. And I think this passage tells us how. And here's the main idea that I want us to to take away from this passage today, that I can only be safe in God's presence if I have been saved by his priest. I can only be safe in God's presence if I've been saved by his priest. I'm going to take a little different approach to this passage than I often do. I like to really focus on, on the practical applications that come from a passage, and I'll get to that in a moment this morning. But, but before we do that, I think it's really important for us to kind of understand the overall flow of this passage and, and look at a couple of the important aspects here that will help us to understand the applications that I want to share with you in a moment. So, so let's begin with kind of an overview of the passage. And the, over, the passage is really broken into, into two main sections. The first section, verses 11 through 14, they tell us that the Old Covenant is insufficient. That's what he says here, it's not sufficient. The Old Covenant, the the old system of Levitical priests, the old system of sacrifices, it's just not sufficient. And here's the reason he tells us it's not sufficient. He says it doesn't provide for, quote, perfection. Notice he begins right away, he says... If this old system, if it could have provided perfection, then there wouldn't be a need for a new system, for a new covenant. So what does he mean by perfection? It's really important for us to understand it. Later on, he talks about being made perfect. And it's important for us to understand what that word means. Now, the, the, the word itself, the Greek word, it has kind of a general meaning of something like this. It means that the fulfillment of a purpose, attaining of a goal, A lot of times it's used in the New Testament to describe the idea of a a Christian becoming mature when it talks about us becoming perfect. It's the idea of maturity, that that we kind of achieve this goal of spiritual maturity. But he uses it in the context here in a little bit different way than that. It's related to that, but, but here's what I think he means by perfection in this particular passage given the context. It means to put someone in the position in which he can stand before God. Or, to put in the words that we've used earlier, it's making someone to be able to be safe in the presence of God. That's what he's talking about. How do, how do I make sure that I can actually be safe in the presence of God? And the problem is the Old Covenant could never do that. Now, the nation of Israel, they, they often rebelled up against God. We know that, right? But the one thing that they usually got right most of the time is they understood that God wasn't safe. They understood just how how righteous and holy God was, and they understood that on their own they couldn't come into his presence. It wouldn't be safe to do that because they might suffer God's wrath. And so so what they had to do is they had to depend on this Old Testament system of priests and and sacrifices because that's all they had. We're going to talk about in a moment why that, that didn't really give them very confident hope, but that's all they had, so they hung on to it. But what the author of Hebrews is telling us here is that 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 just wasn't sufficient. There was no way that they could know that they were safe in the presence of God. So therefore, there has to be a different priesthood that's needed. It's interesting that he says that there needs to be, in verse 11, another priest. And that word another is is really key here for us, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But the, the reason that they needed another priest was that the old One wasn't sufficient. And God had always intended for that to be a a temporary thing. It was always intended to point ahead to the priesthood that would be permanent. And we know that because in in the verse that's quoted twice here, it's already been quoted I think three or four times up till now, Psalm 110, verse 4, God made that very clear. He said to them, this is what he wrote in Psalm 110. It says, The Lord has sworn, and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever forever after the order of Melchizedek. What he was telling his people is there's going to be another priest, a permanent priest. He's going to be a priest forever. And remember, when David wrote that when David wrote that psalm, what was David doing? He was going to the temple on a regular basis. David was depending on the priesthood and on the sacrifices. But he wrote, he knew, he understood as he was taken along by the Holy Spirit that that was not going to be sufficient forever. And so there needed to be a different priesthood. As I said here in verse 11, it says there needs to be another. He says he's going to appoint another priest. And that word another is really important here. There's two words in Greek that can be translated another. There's one that means another of the same kind, and the other one means another of a different kind. Let me illustrate. Let's say that I told you I'm going to go buy another car. Now, if my intention was to go out and buy another Hyundai Santa Fe or maybe even another SUV of some kind, I would use the first one. It's another of the same kind. But if I were to say I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy a Maserati, don't worry, that's never happening, that would be another of a different kind, right? Because it's not, it's not like the Santa Fe that I drive now. And that's the word he uses here. And what he's saying is that there needs to be a priest of a different kind. The Levitical priests, they're just not adequate. And so he says there's going to be another priest who's going to come along, who's going to be pictured in the Old Testament by Melchizedek and fulfilled in the New Testament by Jesus. And we saw last week, he talked about how different that priesthood was. We saw why the priesthood of Melchizedek and the priesthood of Jesus was superior to the Levitical priesthood. And I'm not going to go back and go over all that again. I will just point out that he mentions once again that the priesthood of Jesus is certainly not hereditary because the priests were supposed to come out of the tribe of Levi, and Jesus, he comes out of the tribe of Judah, which was not the priestly line. So he says there's, there has to be a different priesthood. And then, because there's a new priesthood, it also requires a new law. That's what it says in verse 12. Now, under the old priesthood, The law was kind of a a support for that priesthood. If you think about it, the priesthood came first, and then the law came after that. So the law was intended to support the priesthood, not the other way around. So, So what the author is saying here, when a new priesthood comes along, the priesthood of Melchizedek, the priesthood of Jesus, there has to be a different kind of law that goes along with it to support that. And I think what he's really talking about here by the law is he's talking about how do I become safe with Jesus? Under the Old Covenant, it was through that sacrificial system that we've already seen was insufficient. Under the New Covenant, the new law is that we're made safe through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so there's this new law here. So he begins this first section. He says the the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, is completely insufficient. And then in the second part of the passage, beginning in verse 15 and going through verse 22, he tells us now the New Covenant is exactly the opposite it's 100% sufficient. And the main reason that it's 100% sufficient is because, it's, he says, it's based on the power of an indestructible life. I love that phrase that the author uses here, the power of an indestructible life. As we saw before, the the other priests, when they came along, that that most of the the qualifications, they were all external. They had to belong to the right tribe. They couldn't have any certain kinds of physical defects. And even when they became a priest, a lot of what they did was all external. They went through external washings. They put on external clothes that they had to put on. They had to do all these external things. Well, when Jesus comes along, his priesthood is not based just on external things. They're based on eternal things. Because it's no longer based on the the blood of of bulls and goats, as as we're going to see later on. in in the book of Hebrews, but it's based on the blood of Jesus Christ, the one who came and who, first of all, was not just a man, but he was God at the same time. He's 100% man. He's 100% God. That's certainly nothing that the, the Old Testament priest could do. And not only that, he comes along and he lives a sinless life, which no priest could do, and then he rises from the dead, which no priest ever did. And he lives still today. And so his priesthood lasts forever. It, it's eternal. It's that power of an indestructible life. And so that's why that priesthood is 100% sufficient when the old covenant was not sufficient at all. The second reason that it's sufficient that it, is that it gives us hope because it provides us a way to be safe with God. You know, under the under the old system, they didn't have that kind of We've talked a lot about hope. A lot of us are wearing shirts today, right, to say hope, raise hope. And in our culture, hope usually means something like wishful thinking, right? Like I hope I win the lottery or I hope I get to see the Cubs win another World Series before I die. Wishful thinking in both cases. Number one, I'm not buying any lottery tickets. And number two, the Cubs probably aren't going to ever win another World Series in my lifetime. So it's wishful thinking. And that's really the kind of hope they had under the Old Covenant, right? They had to to hope that when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement and made sacrifices, that that was going to be enough to take care of their sins. But the problem was, while it would would cover their sins, it couldn't completely cleanse them from sin. It It couldn't cleanse their guilty consciences. It just couldn't do that. So there was this wishful thinking. They couldn't be confident. But for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, who have made him our personal high priest, we have the other kind of hope. We have the hope that's confident expectation. We can know for sure what our eternal destiny is if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. That's why earlier on in this passage, when it talks about drawing near to God, that the writer of Hebrews wrote this back in chapter chapter 4. He said, Let us then, how? With confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He says you can draw draw close to God with confidence because of what Jesus has done for you. You can know that you're safe in the presence of God because of what Jesus has done for you. So it provides hope. The third reason that this, that this new covenant is sufficient is because it fulfills God's promises. You know, under the old covenant, that God never promised that would stay around forever. As a matter of fact, when God created the, the Levitical priesthood, there's a lot of evidence. He always intended for that to just be a temporary thing that would point ahead to the priesthood of Jesus Christ. But in the verse that we've looked at now, I don't know how many times (laughs) since we've been in in Hebrews chapter 7, that verse back from Psalm 110, what does God do? He promises that this priesthood that's on the order of Melchizedek, the priesthood of Jesus Christ, he says, I promise I will never change my mind about that. He promises that that priesthood is going to last forever because it's, again, based on the power of an indestructible life. So we can be confident that this this new covenant, that, that it's completely sufficient. So what does that mean for me? Well, it means that I can only be safe in God's presence when I've been saved by his priest. That's the only thing that works. So how do I do that? What are some practical ways that I can make sure that I'm safe in God's presence? Let me share with you just a couple of them this morning. The first one is I have to acknowledge that God is not safe. Now, that seems kind of contradictory, right? I'm safe because I acknowledge God's not safe. But, you know, that really is the starting point, isn't it? It's really understanding that that God is inherently not safe, that he's holy, that he's righteous, that he's powerful, that he has said that he will pour out his wrath on those who refuse to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And that has to be kind of the, the starting place for all of this. As we said last week, this whole idea of a priesthood seems kind of archaic to us. It seems kind of outdated. It seems kind of unneeded. But we all need a priest. We all need someone who can be a bridge between a holy God and those of us who are sinful human beings. And so the whole process has to begin with that understanding. We have to acknowledge that we're sinners and that without Jesus, what we deserve is God's wrath. So God is not inherently safe. The second thing that we have to do is that we have to make sure that Jesus is our personal high priest. That he's my personal high priest. These Jews to whom the the author is writing, they kind of view Jesus as this kind of add-on to their Jewish faith, really. They, They figured, hey, look, we have our Jewish faith we've kind of added this jesus onto it so we ought to be okay as long as we just go back to our jewish faith and, and and kind of push jesus aside we'll be okay right and that's really what what every human religion that's ever been created aside from biblical christianity it's kind of based on this idea that there's something that i have to do to be right with god there's some ritual that i have to have to go through there's something that that I have to do some rules that I have to obey And when Jesus comes along he says no it's it's not about rules it's not about doing something it's about putting my faith 100% in Jesus Christ alone. but what these these, these Jewish Christians they they just assume like I said that Jesus was just an Adam but I, th- I remember Pastor Ryan back when we were looking at the book of Colossians he did a really good job of reminding us that Biblical Christianity is Jesus plus nothing. And so if you want to make Jesus your personal high priest, it means that you have to come before him. You have to acknowledge, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. It means you come before him and you say, there's nothing that I can do on my own to be safe before God. It means that you come before him and you trust in what he did on the cross and what he did through his resurrection. You trust in that alone as the basis for your salvation, and it means that you give your life to Him, that you commit to let Him take control of your life, and you make Him the Lord of your life. And once you've done that, you can be confident that you're safe in the presence of God. If you haven't, then there's no way you can ever have hope that you're safe in the presence of God. So if you've never done that, I want to encourage you today to make that decision. Because until you do that, you can't do the last thing I'm going to share with you. And that is this, that you need to draw near to God boldly and consistently. Mary and I have a, we have a, a, a membership in a gym here in town that's a 24-hour gym. And um, the gym gives us this little key fob so that we can get in the gym any time of the day or night that we want, any day of the year. A couple years ago, they were having some challenge. We even went in on Thanksgiving Day so we could eat more afterwards, you know. And every year in every year in January, there's a bunch of people that decide they're going to get fit for the year, right? So in January, the gym is packed for about a month, maybe three weeks. And then we never see those people again. You know what? Those people, most of them, they still have a membership. They still have a key fob that will let them get in the gym if they want. But if they don't use that, then they don't get the benefit of the gym. They don't get the benefit of, of being able to be physically fit. And unfortunately, I think that's what a lot of Christians can be like sometimes, right? I, I've done this before myself. I have that the key fob. The key fob is Jesus. I have, I can come boldly into his presence anytime I want. But I don't always do that. And so I want to just encourage you to make sure you're drawing near boldly and consistently to the throne of grace where you can find mercy and grace. Draw near by reading your Bible. Draw near by praying to God. Draw near by gathering together with other believers and worshiping him and learning about the Bible together and studying the Bible together. Draw near to him when you sin and you need forgiveness. Draw near to Him when you're trying to make a decision and you need His wisdom. Draw near to Him when you're going through difficulties and you need Him to come alongside you and to walk through those difficulties with you. Draw near to Him when things are going great and you come near to Him to praise Him and to honor Him and to worship Him. In other words, draw near to Him in every stage of your life, no matter what's going on. Now, here's, here's the danger of this message, and of every other message, frankly, that we hear, is we can all go away from here thinking, you know, that was some really good information. Or some of us, be honest, sometimes don't you think, hey, that's a really good message for someone else I know. They need to, they need to listen to that, right? We can do that. So I want to encourage you this morning not to do that. I want to encourage you this morning to, in just a moment, I'm going to give you a time, some time to pray and just to, to ask God to show you what does he want you to do with this message today. What practical application does he want you to make in your life? What concrete steps can you take? For some of you, that might be to put your faith in Jesus for the very first time. Because if you haven't done that, as we've seen this morning, you can never be sure you're safe in the presence of God. And I want you to be safe in the presence of God. I want you to experience the the hope and the joy that comes along with that. So if you've never done that, pray this morning you'd make that decision. For some of the rest of you who have, have been believers for a long time, you'd have to honestly say, you know, I'm not really drawing near to God as boldly and consistently as I should. And so maybe there's something you can do in your life, some step you can take that will help you to do that. Maybe it... Maybe it's joining a, a Bible study group or maybe just joining our Bible reading plan or maybe just making a commitment to be more consistent consistent in your prayer life. But Whatever it is, just ask you to put that on your heart. So would you go ahead and just bow your head for a moment and pray and ask God to reveal to you how he would want you to apply this message. Father, I pray this morning, right now, that you'd be speaking to each heart here. Father, thanks for, even in these few moments, speaking to me about something I need to do in my own life, Father, to just apply what I preach today. and Father, I thank you for that. I, I thank you for the way that you're speaking to, to each person here today. And I pray that you would give them the power and the strength to apply uh, what they've committed to do today, Father. That they'd follow through on that. Especially pray for those who might need to come to Jesus for the very first time. Make him their own personal high priest. Pray that they would do that today. Father, thank you for the way that you're working. We prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we sing.